Good morning, everyone. Our opening song is number 36, We Have Come Into His House. to worship. Good morning. Good morning. Call to worship this morning is Psalm 84. <clears throat> One through eight. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passeth through the valley of Baca, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Selah, which means, think about that for a moment. Our God is just so uh, awesome. We'll continue to worship him now. Uh, Speaking of communion with God, we'll sing number 
Um, is it 164? I must tell Jesus. gathered here this morning to worship you. And that means we desire to get the focus off of ourselves and the busyness of our lives and all of the things that can bind us without our being aware of it. So we ask, please, we know your Holy Spirit is here. May he act in each of our hearts. May he draw each of us closer to you through Jesus May we be changed by the songs, by the prayers, by the readings, and by your word. 
so that we will leave here filled with you and more like Jesus. Amen. And the only thing I'm going to say is for the people who are gathered here and you have bulletins this morning, please read them carefully. There's a lot of information there that you might want to know. Okay, if you will take your bulletin inserts, we will now pray together our prayer of confession. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And let us never forget the words of the Apostle John in his first epistle, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now uh, we will continue to worship the Lord. Our first song, number 200, it's a gospel song that's appropriate every day of the year. And then number 162.
Thank you.
Amen. It's all about Jesus. Thank God he came. And now we will have uh, the reading of our scripture passages. Scripture reading this morning is 1 Kings chapter 10, 1 through 17, 25 through 30, and Mark 10, 42, 45. This is 1 Kings 10, 1 through 17. And Rehoboam went to Shisham, for all Israel were come to Shisham to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon. And Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, How do you advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and will serve them and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel counsel of the old men which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him, and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give you that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter? And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, My father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father has chastised you with whips, and I will chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old man's counsel, and they gave him, and spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastened you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people. For the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake unto Ahijah, the Shilonite, unto Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, 
What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed unto their tents. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. This is 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 25 through 30. Then Jeroboam built Shisham in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein, and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, and set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. This is Mark ten forty-two through 45. But Jesus called them to him, and saith unto them, Ye know that which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Amen. This is uh, the word of God, and we will dig into it in a while. But first... um, Just take your songbook, sing joyfully, and turn to page 416. Uh, I discovered this last week. Actually, it's not page 416. We will close singing, Make Me a Servant, but right under it is a congregational reading that we can recite together based upon John 13, where Jesus explains why he came. So if everybody could turn to 416... We will say this together in unison. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that his time had come. And having loved his own, he now showed them the full extent of his love. While the evening meal was being served, Jesus rose, wrapped the towel around his waist, and began washing his disciples' feet. When he had finished, he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, I have set you an example. This is the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger 
greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen. That's the gospel. And um, now let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, the world is upside down. And we are in danger of falling over ourselves, too. So we thank you for the gift of your son, the Savior. And may we live every moment serving him in humble, dependent, obedient faith. Because we know he is doing everything to serve us through the Holy Spirit. And he has given himself his very life as a ransom for us to buy us out of sin, to serve before you, O God, all of our days in great joy and experiencing peace in your great, strong love. And please give to us through the power and love of the Holy Spirit to stand apart So we always live for others, not ourselves. And in our living, as well as our words, may we always testify to Jesus, our Savior. Salah. We will think about that for a minute. And we pray for our world and the leaders in our world. Please show them by harsh experience that they, that none of us, has power in ourselves to fix anything that is broken in people or in institutions. Instead, may the Holy Spirit reveal to leaders and to all of us that the only way to lasting change in life that is truly life indeed is through and in Jesus. And we pray for our nation and our president. We all seem to be divided between good and evil. And it seems the words of the prophets apply today as much as ever. People are calling good evil. And that which is evil is being paraded as good. And God, I I have a special request here. Please help us to show people in love that so-called science is not God. Only you are God. And please restore people to common biblical truth that all life is sacred to you. All ages, from conception to natural death. All so-called abilities and all ethnic groups. You showed to John multitudes of every type of person around your throne in worshiping you, (coughs) O three-in-one God. One more request for our nation and the world. Please restore the nuclear biblical family 
of a father, a mother, and children to its rightful place of primacy. It's not for everyone, but it's a good thing. And we pray for our church family. We pray for Doris, for Cindy and Jeff, for Elon, for Fran Mahan, for Allie and her family, for Joe, Peter, Linda, Billy, Norgi, their mother, their siblings. We pray for Nancy and Ray and Robbie and Colleen, Colleen and Everett. Father, we pray for Norma and Jenny and her family. We pray for Christine and her brother Steve and Annie and their family. We pray for her sister Lisa and especially her mother Joyce. Father, we pray for Ken and, and Charlie and Kurt. Father, we just lift our entire extended family up to you, knowing that you know what we need even before we ask you, and you're more than willing to do it. And we pray that you will change our hearts through your word this morning. And I say, please guide me in explaining what it says and what it means and what it is that you want us to do about it. And now we come to you in the words of the model prayer from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught his followers to pray. Praying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I think I will say that in my research on that prayer for the article I wrote, what most excited me is that in the original, when Jesus taught the prayer, it was the one who is dwelling in the heavens. Now, I don't know if that's two heavens, three heavens, or seven heavens, but I was kind of freaking out that we were only thinking about the spiritual throne way, way up on high. But by making it plural, it means he's also in the heavens of our atmosphere and right here with us right now. And that's what biblical theology teaches. He's very, very prominent, but he's also very, very imminent and with us. And let's um, now sing this uh, discipleship song, actually, number 413, Living for Jesus.
song was written by one of my favorite songwriters in 1917. Well, whether from Deming or Blanchard or some other management consultant, current management theory and training emphasizes that a good manager must adapt his or her management style to each individual that he or she is managing. Now, in 1991, I participated in an intense three-day management seminar where we were instructed in this management principle. Okay? Now, we used... Um, case studies, directed peer discussions, and even clips from classic films, including High Noon. 
Now, we use Blanchard's material, and we learn the catchy title that he gave to this management practice is different strokes for different folks. Now, prior, over a month prior to this, we all had to answer this extensively long questionnaire. It took me over an hour. And there were multiple questions, and each question presented a different, um, um, well, the specifics, okay? The specifics of who our staff member was, their skills, et cetera, and the task at hand. And then it gave us four choices as to how we would manage this situation. Now, these four choices, I didn't know when I took the test, were four different management styles. There are four types of management styles. And I didn't know, none of us knew, the test was rigged. And we should have scored 25% in each of the styles because we were given each of the types of employees equally. Well, this just shocked me because when they showed me my results versus what it should have been, almost three quarters of the time, I responded as a coach and or a teacher. And what this showed me was I was managing by what was comfortable to me, to me, not the situation, not the person I was managing. And I realized I needed to change my management style. I'm very uncomfortable with directing, and I found it hard to delegate no matter how advanced my employees were. So uh, I learned something there. Now, this approach to management didn't just come out of thin air. It was discovered by big corporations investing billions of dollars over multiple decades so that all of their managers would be able to manage the workforce and the employees in order to maximize productivity and profit. And if you're wondering, yes, Yes, truth can be discovered while seeking to improve the bottom line. Okay, enough of that, but I really feel that sometimes the church has something to learn from the real world, stuff we should already know from the Bible. And the reality is we will see in our passages this morning that we have a case study from Scripture of a very bad king And we also have the words of our Savior. And both of these teach the same truth that corporations had discovered by the 1980s. The best leaders are those who serve their servants or their staff. When a worker is treated with kindness and respect, he or she will do better work and be loyal to his or her boss. So now let's discover this truth from our passages. We'll start with uh, 1 Kings 12 and Rehoboam. Now, I'm not really sure how to pronounce his name, but I'll do the best I can. He misses an opportunity to mend a grievance by refusing to listen 
to the elders. And then the tribes fall into idolatry. So in the first passage, we heard that long one. After all Israel had made Rehoboam king, he rejects the request of the people to lighten the load of his father Solomon and says he will be tougher than his father. Let's go through it uh, line by line. We're told then Rehoboam went to Shechem because all Israel had come to make him king. Now, Rehoboam, it's, it's kind of based on that word rav or, or, or big in Hebrew. It means he has enlarged the people. Am is the people. Now, Solomon ruled far more people than his father David, and Rehoboam inherited this. Okay, now Shechem means a back or a shoulder. It symbolizes strength. And if you go to Genesis, you will see that when Jacob and his sons arrived there, it was an extremely powerful city. Also, it says all Israel. So Israel, it turns out, is more united under this king, Rehoboam, than they had been at the beginning of his grandfather David's reign. Remember, just last week, we found out that he was only king over one tribe, Judah, his tribe, for his first seven years. So everything should be good. Now, we're also told there was a man by the name of Jeroboam who had fled to Egypt, but the people called him back, and together they asked Rehoboam to lighten his father's heavy yoke. Now, in the context, if you were to look up in your Bibles to the preceding chapter, you would see that Jeroboam, whose name means his people will contend, a reeve is a contention, He was a man of standing from the tribe of Ephraim, one of the major tribes, and he had served under Solomon. But after Ahiah, which means my brother is Yahweh, the prophet had told him he would rule over 10 tribes. Sometime during his lifetime, Solomon tried to kill him. And when he found out about that, he hightailed it down to Egypt. Now, they come and they say, please lighten the heavy load. And again, you can look at it in the preceding chapter. Solomon made their yoke severe. So they request his son Rehoboam that he would make this severe service really this you know, brutal servitude and heavy yoke that he would make it lighter. They want him to serve their needs. And this goes with the basic principle that servant leaders have loyal and obedient. This is not good. I couldn't find any extra batteries. Ah, anybody got double-A batteries? <laughs> I got one upstairs. Well, this is what happens when we're alive, okay. Uh, so, uh, again, this could be a win-win situation. If he will serve these workers for him, his subjects, then everybody will be better off. So he did a wise thing in the beginning. He asked them to give him three days 
And then he consulted with his father's elders who told him that if he would serve this people and speak good words to them, they would be his servants forever. So again, he asked for time, and any good leader will do this. He wanted to give their request the proper consideration, and the elders gave him a wise answer. They said, serve them and speak well to them. That's what I said. If we speak kindly to the people who are under us, then they will be your servants forever. They will be your servants forever. So they ask him essentially to reverse his father's policies. So let's read between the lines. What does this mean? These were elders who served Solomon. Certainly they told Solomon when they saw him brutalizing his people, Solomon back off. Solomon didn't listen like father, like son. So this supreme wisdom that they will serve you forever, if he will be their servant leader, they will be loyal and obedient servants. He didn't listen to it. But the truth is still the truth. Servant leaders do have loyal and obedient servants. And then we have this very scary word to me because I'm afraid it might apply to myself sometimes. He forsook the elders' counsel and he consulted the young men who grew up with him and stood before him. Now, I noticed this difference in the reading. He said to the elders, what should I do? But now we see his true allegiance and why he rejected the elders. He said, what do you counsel we should answer this people who said, lighten your father's yoke? So he chose to ignore and walk away from sound wisdom. Instead, he turned to the rash young men who had always supported him, a bunch of lackeys he had surrounded himself with. And they told him to respond harshly and add to his father's heavy yoke. So they actually use two metaphors here. One is that his little finger will be thicker than his father's torso. And then in a very blunt metaphor, now a scorpion was a metaphor or a euphemism. Scorpion stings can be very painful, though not deadly. He would attach metal to the strands of the whips that his father had used. That was what they called the scorpion because to get lashed across the bare back with shards of metal was about as painful as could be imagined. And that's what they advise him to do. So then Jeroboam and all the people came on the day Rehoboam had advised that they came And he answered them harshly, again, forsaking the elders' counsel. And he quoted the young men exactly, word for word. And then we're told, because this was from Yahweh, to establish the words of Achaiah, his prophet. So what we see here is that Rehoboam's attitude Actions and response to his people. This consistently show him to be hard-hearted and actually clueless. But you know what? Again, we can go back to the previous chapter. In Solomon's life, as he was aging, because 
Solomon lusted after foreign women. He had a thousand women. None of these worship Yahweh. They all worship their favorite idols. And it brought Solomon into deep and destructive idolatry. So unlike his grandfather, David, Rehoboam would not listen to anyone. And especially the people who were his subjects. And this is a thing about the word of God. He had told Achaia to say to Solomon, the punishment you deserve for your sins is going to fall on your son because he's going to be just like you. And at this point, when he responds in this totally ungodly way, going against God's word, all of the people of Israel proclaim that they have nothing to do with David or his family. They'll go home and leave David, figuratively the whole family, to look after themselves. Only two tribes were left to the line of David to rule. Now, harsh treatment of people will drive them away. That's a truth anybody can figure out. All right, this is our first application this morning. We're no longer 3,000 years ago. We should ask ourselves if we have ever responded harshly to people, to other people. And then we should make it into a prayer that God would show us if we've done this so we can repent, confess, and ask to be changed by him and Jesus. And when it says only two tribes were left, well, of course, there's Judah. That was the tribe that all the kings were descended from after David. But the temple, Jerusalem, was in the tribal territory of Benjamin. So we now have a 10 to 2 division. Just Benjamin and Judah are left to serve God. And then we get the follow-up to this a few verses later. As Jeroboam began to rule these 10 breakaway tribes, he set up idols in the north and south, and this was a sin. So it starts out, Okay, listen, he he built Shechem in the hills of Ephraim. We've already seen it. He lived there, okay. And then he went out from there and built Peniel. Peniel. Now, this name means facing God. Now, Echaia had said in his prophecy to Jeroboam, as long as he walked in God's ways, God would be with him. And this is a good start. The first city he builds up and reinforces, he names the face of God. He's aware that God is with him. Is he open to this? Well, no, because After a while, then he said in his heart, if this people will go up to offer sacrifices to Yahweh in Jerusalem, their heart will return to Rehoboam and they will kill me and return to him. Okay, we're all human. I can see how he might fear this, how this thought might come into his head. If we're insecure, things like this can happen. However... However, he had the word of God through God's own prophet 
that if he will follow God, God will be with him and bless him and make his life good. He should have put this fear behind him. But then he took counsel, and it seems every time these people are taking counsel of other people's, bad comes about. He took counsel, and he made two calves of gold. And he said, it's far for you to go to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And he put one in Bethel, which means house of God, and the other in Dan, which means judge. And in reality, Jeroboam will now be judged judged because he forsook the house of God in Jerusalem. So, knowing all these truths about God, and let's not be too harsh, but whatever possessed Jeroboam to make twice as many golden calves as Aaron had, and we know what happened to Israel because of Aaron's making one golden calf. Now, with Dan at the northern border and Bethel at the southern border, he's doubling down on their past idolatry. And this thing became a sin. And the people went before the one as far as Dan. Now, Dan was in the far extreme north, almost at the Euphrates River. It was as far away from Jerusalem as you could get in Israel. They are so far away from God. You know, just because they were mistreated by the king, this is not the excuse for the major sin of idolatry, even after they broke away. Why would they do this? But, you know, we must be careful, too. I think we all know what it's like to be mistreated and to be hurt, and we're very vulnerable. So let us be prayerfully careful that whenever we might be mistreated, we ourselves will not fall into idolatry. Now let's go up to our gospel passage in Mark. And Jesus taught his followers not to rule by exercising lordship and authority, but to achieve great leadership by being a minister and a servant of all. So the first part, we're told that After James and John sought to be first, Jesus said to his followers, they were not to rule as lords over others. But if they desire to be great, they will be ministers. So after this, after Jesus had called them to himself, he says to them, and again, just look up in the earlier verses of chapter 10. James and John had just pushed themselves forward to ask for a special favor from Jesus, and the other ten didn't cover themselves with glory because they were indignant. And he says, you have known that those considered to rule the nations are exercising lordship over them, and the great ones are exercising authority over them. So what's going on here? Jesus is describing that the rulers of the nations and the great people of the nations, not God's people, that they um, are ruling 
by what we would call authority rule, by intimidating people in being authoritarian lords. You know what? 900 years later, it sounds just like Rehoboam. But here is a very key sentence that Jesus says. We should all heed it. But it shall not be thus among you. If we are following Jesus, we must live in a way that is noticeably different than the world and the culture that is around us. And he says, whoever is desiring to be great among you all, he shall be your minister. Now, the Greek word for this is diakonos, from which we get our word deacon, and it means a servant. And then the one desiring to be first must be servant of all, because Jesus says, I did not come to be ministered to by others, but to minister. And here's the key bottom line. And to give my life a ransom for many. So whoever is desiring to be foremost among you all, he shall be your servant. Now, in Scripture, both Old and New Testament The same word can be translated either servant or slave. And Paul, using the same word, writing to the church in Rome, it's been translated into English, slaves. He says, if you follow Jesus and you will be slaves to obedience to Christ, this will be your righteousness. You can be righteous by being a slave to Jesus Christ and then being set free from your sin, you become slaves to God. And what does it mean when we become slaves to God? We receive holiness and life. So here's our second application. Let us also be slaves to Jesus, serving all people in his name. And may we live our lives by the truth that all who desire to be first must give themselves in order to be servants of all. Why? Because of the principle these passages teach. Servant leaders, if we try to lead as servants, we will have loyal and obedient subjects. And then he says, because even the Son of Man did not come to be ministered unto, but to minister. Think about this. The greatest man ever. He's a deacon. He is God's son. That means no man has ever come close to equaling him. But he says he did not come to be served by people, but to serve people. And here's our third application. May we be like Jesus as we serve others. Now, here's one we can't imitate Jesus in. And to give his life a ransom in the place of many. Well, Jesus has said in the Gospels that all people are slaves to sin. And slaves can only be set free when someone pays a ransom price. And Jesus sets us free from death by giving his life as a ransom. Okay. Again, let's personalize it. If necessary, 
May all of us who are in Jesus be willing to lay down our lives to tell others, Jesus paid the ransom price for them, okay? It's not about us, but Jesus paid that ransom price. And with these last words, Jesus says he will pay the ransom price that is too great for us. I hope you all know Psalm 47. There's a place in there where it says, the ransom price for another man, no one can pay it. Why? Because it's death. And if we die, we're dead. But when Jesus died for us and then rose from the dead, that covered over our sins. The price would be too high for us, death. It's not too high for Jesus. So here is the gospel. This is the greatest truth of everything we've heard this morning. The greatest leader ever came not only to serve, but to give his life in our behalf. So Rehoboam teaches us by his negative example that God wants all his people to be willing to serve others. Why? Because it uh, motivates. It's our motivation to mutually serve other people in this world that need him. And then when the sons of thunder exhibited Rehoboam's spirit of heavy-handed authority, Jesus gives the wise answer that to be first among his people requires a commitment to serve others as a slave serves a master. So for us, and this is our last thing to consider this morning, when we serve master Jesus, then we will be good servant leaders. So when Rehoboam refused to reduce the heavy yoke his father had put on his subjects, but rather increased the yoke. Over 80% of the people rebelled and broke away, sadly, into the sin of double idolatry. Then 900 years later, the Savior said, whoever wants to be first must be servant of all. Why? Because Jesus, the Savior, came to serve and to give his life for many. So servant leaders have loyal and obedient servants. And since Jesus is the greatest and he is our leader, let us ask ourselves, how loyal and obedient to Jesus are we? And let's consider that as we sing our closing song, number 469, Trust and Obey.
Our benediction or good word comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, in being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And now for our very last song, we're going to sing number 415, Make Me a Servant. Mm -hmm. 